Invited in some new good-looking faces today. Welcome to all my visitors. And I recognize two and three, praise the Lord. I don't normally like to embarrass people, but I'm going to call out the Carvers. Praise the Lord. Appreciate Miss Lane. Y'all being here. Awesome. We love you. Thank you. That is so good. I hope you have a chance to speak with them and let them know that uh, you're glad they're here. As well as all of our visitors, welcome to Community Baptist Church. Uh, God bless you too. And uh, uh, listen, we're family here. And uh, one thing I like about Community Baptist Church, uh, the name community does say it. Um, and we've got a good community of people that are here that uh, love each other, love the Lord. And um, I'm just thankful uh, to be able to be your pastor. Take your Bibles this morning and let's turn to the Gospel according to Luke. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible. should be some there in the pew in front of you. Uh, unless uh, my kids have taken them and used them as Lego blocks, which is possible. Um, is, it, is it just me or is it a little warm in here? Anybody else warm? No, no someone's shaking their head. It, it might have something to do with I just sprinted to my house trying to print a document that did not my... I'm telling you, you know your Sunday morning when everything goes wrong. Isn't that how it works? Uh, I, I was trying to print a hard copy of my sermon and my computer or my printer is out of toner. And uh, so uh, after piddling with that for a while, I said, you know what, I've got to send this via email to my house, and I'll run over there and print it. So I run over to the house. That's why I was asking my wife for the key. Um, and I run over to the house, and what happens? It didn't send. Uh, it sent my PowerPoint, which I didn't need that. I needed my hard copy. So anyways, uh, we got it all. The, the Lord worked it out, so it's all, it's all bueno, as my non-Hispanic pastor friend says. All right. Luke chapter 3, we concluded, uh, by the way, we, uh, here at Community, we go through a book at a time. When we study God's Word, I think that's the best way to study God's Word. There's nothing worse than picking up a, a, a novel and reading the middle of the book. You go, oh, that's a good book, I just love that. Did you read that? That's good. No, you wouldn't do that with a novel. Why don't we do that oftentimes with the Scriptures? We'll pull out a verse. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, there are some of those verses we chew on, and that's great. But context, context, context gives us everything. And so that's the way we like to study uh, the Word of God here. Uh, one verse at a time. So we're in the book of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke. And um, we, uh, last week we saw Jesus' baptism and uh, how He was fulfilling righteousness. He was there, John's baptism. And uh, John um, did not want to baptize Jesus. He says, look, I need to be baptized by you. Um, and Jesus said, no, look, we need to do this to fulfill righteousness. And uh, as a representative of man, uh, Christ did that, which was required. So that's happened. And immediately upon the heels of that happening in Luke, if you'll notice in Luke 3, and I want you to notice in verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Hali, the son of Mattath. And he goes through this long genealogy. Now I know, I'm going to tell you not to, to, to do this, and yet we're going to do this this morning. Don't skip through genealogies. When you're reading it, take time and look through that genealogy. It's there, it's the inspired word of God, it's there for a reason. But we aren't going to, for time's sake, I'm going to trust you're all good students of the Word, and we'll do this at home. 
But uh, we are going to touch on some of the interesting things and why Luke puts this here in his writing. We know that Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God has this placed here at, on the hills of Jesus' baptism. And, but where I, want to, where I want us to focus today is in Luke chapter 4. By the way, if you're looking up here on the screen and you're thinking, <laughs> that pastor don't even know his scriptures. No, you're right. That is not Luke 4, 1 through 13. There hath no temptation taken you. Anybody know where that scripture passage comes from? Okay, maybe I take back that you're all Bible student. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10. Oh, 13. Thank you. You get an A today. We're going to put her name at the top of the chart. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This was a verse for me as a believer early on in my walk that was just life-changing. There is no temptation taking you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful in that when you're tempted, He's not going to allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but with that temptation, He's going to make a way to escape so you'll be able to bear it. How many of us in here realize that when temptation comes, and by the way, temptation comes, knocking at our door more often than we'd like to admit. But how many of us in here know that when temptation knocks, there's a way to escape? Who in here believes there's a way to escape? Amen, there's a way to escape. God says there's a way to escape. And look, it's common to be tempted. It's common to be tempted. But as believers, there's no reason for me and you to fall into those temptations because God has promised a way to escape. So today, I, I, I felt like this was the appropriate title, um, and hopefully you'll, you'll see where we're going with this. But um, anyways, there hath no temptation taken you. Notice in the text for today's reading, and this is in Luke 4, 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered, said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem 
set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking that you would please remove distractions. I pray that you would equip me, uh, Lord, to deliver today's message in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm asking, Lord, for your anointing. I'm asking for attentive hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today through your word. You would reveal truth. That you would give us victory in the battles we face. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wanted to hit on that genealogy in Luke 3 because there's something interesting that Luke does. And I think it's significant in where we're going today in our study. If you notice that genealogy, it's different than the one that Matthew records. Um, you've got one that basically... It's, it's the lineage, this one, of, of Mary. Um, and then you have the, uh, or I'm sorry, of Joseph. And then you have the, the other, it's the lineage of Mary. And yet one goes only to Abraham, and yet this one goes all the way back to who? Notice there in the text. Adam. Now look, if I were to ask you this morning, hey, who's your mom and daddy? Now most of you could probably answer that. There may be some that can't. But even if you can't, you got a mom and daddy. All right? Trust me on this one. All right? If I would ask you, who's your grand, grandmammy and grandpappy? You could probably tell me. Who's your great-granddaddy and your great-grandmama? Some of you could probably do that. Now, we start getting in a little trouble at this point because most of us, honestly, don't know too far back. Shame on us, but that's just the reality of it. But the bottom line is, if we could trace back through documents, and you can, Ancestry.com. You've seen the commercial? Yeah, okay, come on, admit it. Guilty pleasure. I want to, I want to go on there, don't you? I didn't, anyway, I just don't want to pay the fee. But, yeah, I've thought about it too. Um, you know, somebody's in a cubicle somewhere going, hey, I'm going to relate this guy to, to this person over here. Watch this. No, I don't know. Um, but here's the thing. We could trace back, couldn't we? We could trace back who your, your grandpappies, great-grandpappies, great-grandpappies. Well, isn't it awesome that we've got in the Word of God genealogies that do just that? These are historical documents. These are actual records that show, and by the way, that was an important driver's license in the day. You know, we show identification this way. They showed identification via their genealogies. So these these are very accurate documentations. Uh, Some of you have seen it. I've talked about it many times, but you get a chance to pop in the library. There is the entire family tree traced through Scripture from Adam and Eve all the way to Joseph and Mary. And you'll see who begot, who begot, who begot. And you thought that was Amor Fudd talking, didn't you? No, that's actually a tracing of a lineage through Scripture, through historical documents. And that's an awesome and powerful tool that we have. Well, Luke places it here because I think it's significant. And the reason I think it's significant is because We're going to deal with Adam, the first Adam, 
And we're also going to talk about the second Adam, Jesus Christ. You see, folks, you're here this morning, and you're either in one or two places, positionally. Positionally, you are either in Adam, dead in trespasses and sin. You're in a fallen state. Or you are in Christ. The second Adam is the way Scripture refers to him. And you are alive spiritually. We're going to look at this this morning. So uh, hopefully this will will be enlightening for us. But notice the text. Um, Adam, very interesting, Adam was also known as a son of God. He was the first man created. And Scripture often refers to him in that way. Uh, Jesus, obviously, being the unique Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. Adam fell at Satan's temptation, and then as a result, all of man fell. We all are born with a fallen nature. Now, Jesus, Luke has laid the case that this is the Son of God. Think about all that he's done in the past three chapters. What has he done? He's talked about the miraculous. He's talked about the testifying of the angels, how they have came and appeared and said, Behold, you know, this is going to be the Son of God. Mary's going to give birth. You have the situation with John the Baptist and Elizabeth and Zacharias and all of these amazing miracles happening. And by the way, there's not been a prophet in over 420-some years, so God hasn't spoke or moved in this way in a long time. So all this is happening. And Luke's writing and recording these things in hindsight for us to know that God is doing something unique in this time period. He's laid the case that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. John the Baptist was told by God that when you see the Spirit descending from heaven, the heavens open and descending upon Him, you will know. Everyone there that day knew and saw as the Spirit descended in bodily form and a voice came from heaven, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now Jesus finds himself out in the desert. He's led out there by the Spirit, and he's going to face the temptation of Satan. By the way, let me say this, though. It's not really temptation. That's a bad word. Because the Word of God says that you cannot tempt God with evil. The words better translate, and some of your translations may say this, testing. Think about this. The first Adam, how was he tested? He was tested, wasn't he? He's placed in the garden. You can have anything and everything you want. One thing. Don't eat from that tree. The test was set up. Why was there a test set up? Some people would look at that and they may think, well, that's cruel. Why would God do that? You know? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a, you know, you take your kid and you put, put them in the room and you put, a, put something in the center of the room and say, now you can have everything else, but don't you touch that one. What do you think is the first one the kid's going to touch? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But see, again, that's because that's the nature of man. Look, God had to set up a test. Because apart from setting up a test, you are a robot. Free will is what God designed you with. And in order to have free will, you have to have a choice in the matter. You can't just be programmed, I must touch the bad fruit, you know. It's a robot. Thank you, Don, you like that. And I'll do it one more time. No, I'm here all week, by the way. 
That is a test. Adam had to be tested. Did Adam pass or fail the test? Failed the test. Man was created with choice. Man chose not to listen to God, but listen to self and to Satan. Man failed the test. So, guess what's happening now? Here's the second Adam. The unique Son of God. The only begotten. Born of a virgin. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Within the womb of Mary. A shot at redemption. A chance to redeem mankind. But if this is indeed the Son of God, He's got to be tested. And so now, by the Spirit, He's led into the wilderness to be tested. It's so interesting when we look at this. Temptation's always the same, guys. Temptation is always the same. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. Pride of life. Right? We're always... I don't care what sin you struggle with. Whatever sin comes your way, knocks on your door, I guarantee you it goes under one of those three headings. Lust of the flesh. Pride of life. Lust of the eyes. By the way, uh, Luke has them in a different order here than Matthew. Bottom line is, it doesn't really matter the order, does it? They're still the same. Temptation. Satan's not changed his approach. You'll see here in this text very clearly. Lust of the flesh. Turn that bread. Turn that stone into bread. Do you think the flesh... By the way... Jesus is 100% man. 100% man. 100% God, 100% man. His humanity, he's hungry. Now, I find, find it very interesting you notice the text. It says he was 40 days in the wilderness, but when it was ended, then he was hungry. I'd say he was pretty focused during the testing. He didn't get hungry till the close of the test. But when he gets there, look, Satan says to him, Ah, uh-huh, okay. If you're the Son of God, turn that stone into bread. There's a lot of temptations that come at us via the flesh. I don't know what your sin that easily besets you is. But Satan came at Christ in in that manner and he knew the humanity that was in place and he knew that 40 days... It's going to be pretty hungry. By the way, you know, scientifically they have done research and say that basically a human can go about 40 days without eating. It was funny, MacArthur joked on this. He says, some commentaries say that um, he probably, it probably doesn't mean that he ate nothing. He probably had something to eat. And he laughs at that, and I do too, because, hello, it says in those days he ate nothing. <laughs> what part of that did we not get? He ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, I, I, when I go through this text, I am just humored by the audacity in the pride of Satan. Think about it. What does John 1.1 1, 1 tell us? In the beginning was the Word. 
Right? In the beginning was the Word of God. God was the Word, right? He became flesh, dwelt among us. So, wait a minute. So, Jesus is the Word made flesh, and yet Satan's going to try and battle him with his own Word. <laughs> That's humorous to me. I mean, and it also speaks of, of the pride of Satan, that he would have the audacity to take on the living Word of God with the living Word of God. But it's a reminder to us, too, as I look at this text, that there are a lot of folks out there that use Scripture and they twist it, just as Satan twisted it here out of context. We need to be careful and discerning of that. Just because someone uses this book doesn't know that they know the living God of this book. We need to be discerning of that. But notice, here's Satan tempting Christ in the desert. The devil says to him, after that first lust of the flesh, he then appeals to the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Notice what he does. The devil then, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Just think, the United States in its peak offered. It says, in a moment of time, And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now, we know that because of the fall of man, see, God had given man dominion in the garden. And that's one of the ways you and me are created in the image of God. Did you know that one of the ways that you're stamped with the image of God was that in the beginning we had rule and reign. We had dominion over the earth to subdue it. And so just as God is sovereign over all of creation, there was a reflection of Him in us to have a rule, a sovereign rule over the garden at the time, but man failed. Now we have a marred image of that, hence the reason why you have dictators and people who power trip and so forth and so on today. But we have a level of dominion and oversight and authority. And so... We find here in this, this example, and I believe it was a legitimate offer because the little G God of this world, the scriptures talk about the little G God of this world blinding the minds of men. Unless the light of the gospel penetrates their heart, they're not going to see the truth and understand and come to a place of repentance and faith in Christ. So I think he had a legitimate offer here in the sense that here's the God man. God had allowed Satan this authority as a result. He was indeed the little G God of the world um, only because God allows it. God is sovereign ruler of all. Nothing happens without it first coming through His approval. We learn that through the story of Job, other passages of Scripture. And it should be an encouragement to me and you in our life that no matter what happens in our life, ultimately it has to be allowed. Some people confuse this and say, oh, well, it's God's will. Well, I'm sorry, it's not God's will for... Uh, a, a girl to be raped and, and brutally murdered, that's not God's will. God didn't say, make this happen, no. God has allowed, due to the fall of sin and the wickedness of man's heart, for man to choose 
in these situations. Yet, even in the midst of man choosing wicked and evil ways, it still is working under the sovereign hand of God to ultimately come to a culmination that will end in His will being done on earth. The magnificent mind of God that we can't begin to comprehend. We can apprehend that thought. That no matter what course or path man shall get on or choose or go down, in the end, it all ends up at the same place. Somebody tried to describe it this way. It's like getting on a cruise ship. Hopefully it's not the one that caught fire and they stayed out there and, whew, stinky cruise. Um, but it's like getting on a cruise ship going from Florida to the Bahamas. The ship is moving. And it's set, it's set on a course. But you have freedom to move and play shuffleboard or good old bingo. Bring your own blotter. Whatever the case, you can move around freely, but guess what? It's going from one place to the other. It has a final destination. So is the will of God in the affairs of man. It's moving in a direction that culminates in the end, God's glory. So we notice here in the text, Satan is tempting. He's testing, testing Jesus Christ. And notice what happens. He's tried the lust of the flesh, turned to bread. He's tried the lust of the eyes, the kingdoms of the world. Now he turns to the pride of life. He brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. Almost hear that mocking tone. Because Jesus came at him with, It is written. It is written. It is written. And now here's Satan with his little smarty pants comment. For it is written. I think that's probably how he said it. You know? Maybe not. But... My daughter liked it. Thank you, Faith. (laughs) For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. I mean, think about this this, this testing here. Oh, well, wait, you know, if if you're God, if you're the Son of God, if you're God in the flesh, what do you got to worry about? Man, you can leap off of here and, and you don't have to worry about it. Your angels will protect you. Now, I don't know about you, but again, you know, uh, the human side, the, the fleshly side of man, you can see how that's a kind of way, you know, that's a good point. I do have that ability, don't I? You know, the pride, it's the pride of life, and sometimes you and I get hit with that. We try to do things in our own strength, we try to do things in our abilities that we have and possess, and that's wrong. It's not done in faith. Sin. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle. The angels will protect you. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know, John MacArthur, in commenting on uh, this, uh, this passage of Scripture, I, w- I want to read to you because, it, it, again, it, it sets the, the comparison between the first Adam and the second Adam. Think about the circumstances that make the distinction between Jesus and Adam so obvious. Adam was in a garden, the best imaginable place. He was in Eden. He was in paradise. Jesus was in an anti-Eden, the most desolate, forsaken, and dangerous place in Judean desert, barren and empty. Adam lived in a sinless world, a sinless environment. Jesus lived in a sinful world. Adam never had known any temptation. Adam fell at the first temptation. 
which means there was no prior assault to try to break down his resistance. Jesus has had 30 years of temptation and then 40 days of temptation before the final three come. All that attempting to break down his resistance. Adam had perfect human strength. Perfect human strength. Adam was delightfully and wonderfully fed by all the lush provisions of the garden. Jesus was weakened by 40 days with no food. Adam had all conceivable things to enjoy, never knowing hunger. Jesus was hungry. Well, he was starving. Adam needed nothing. He needed nothing. He had everything. He ruled everything. Jesus had nothing. No food, no authority. He had emptied himself of this. Nothing, no kingdom, no sphere of rule. He's all alone. And Adam certainly had no need to test God to see if God really cared, to see if God really loved him, since he had ample evidence that God loved him and God cared while he was wandering around in the lavishness of Eden. Jesus, deprived of all of that and everything else with nothing but a desolate desert and Satan trying to push him to test God to see if God really does love him. So Jesus, with a right to eat as the Creator, has no food. Jesus, with the right to rule as king, has no kingdom. Jesus, with the right to divine care and divine protection and divine blessing, is exposed to the severest dangers. And the point should be clear. Jesus didn't fall. Adam did. And that tells you what a vast difference there is between Jesus and Adam. In the best of circumstances, Adam fell. In the worst imaginable circumstances, Jesus did not. This is our Savior. Amen? This is our Messiah. And this is the proof of it. Adam, innocent, perfect, rich, lacking nothing, fell under the first assault. Jesus did not. Poor, alone, weary, hungry, and he is triumphant. I can't tell you other than to say this is absolutely critical to the issue of salvation. That's why it's here. It's not just an interesting incident. It's the heart and soul of everything. Jesus can't save us from sin and death and hell if He Himself cannot conquer it. So where the first man failed in Adam, we all died. The second man succeeds in Christ. We all live. Guys, do you hear this? Do you see? Jesus Christ is our Savior. And here's the thing, Christian. When I read through this text, there's so many things that that help you and I as believers. And in our closing minutes here, I want to hit on some of these because I believe there's a recipe here for us to be victorious in our battles against Satan. How many of you in here encounter battles, spiritually speaking? Yeah, I think all of us. And if you didn't, you just fell to one. It's called lying. <laughs> liar, liar, pencil fire. Anyway. We all face spiritual battles. And again, I said earlier, you're either here and you're in Christ, you're in the second Adam, or you're here and you're in the first Adam. And if you're here and you're in the first Adam, then you are spiritually dead. 
most of what I'm teaching and preaching probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you because these things are spiritually discerned. And if your spiritual tuner isn't in tune, you don't get a reception. Does that make sense? And so I want to I show you a couple of things that hopefully will, will help us to gain some victory as believers. And if you're here and you're not a, if you're not a believer, I hope this will kind of remove some of the blinders so that you, you, you know what, I get this now. I see this. And so, Christian, pray that that's the case. Um, in my counseling courses I, I'm, I'm studying, there's a um, gentleman by the name of Dr. Charles Solomon. And he has this book called Christ-Centered Counseling. Christ-centered counseling. And I can tell you, as I'm going through this, it's no wonder, in our world, we approach things two ways. We either approach it as first Adam or second Adam, spiritually dead or spiritually alive. It's no wonder, guys, that we're seeing all the problems in the world that we're seeing. And what is man's solution? We, we, we prescribe drugs. We send them to counselors who are trained in secular, humanistic counseling. And so what happens is, instead of treating spirit, soul, and body, they treat soul and body because they don't understand spiritual things. And so they're only addressing part of man. And if if your root cause of your problem is the spirit then guess what happens? You never really get helped. Are you understanding me? Because it's like, it, it, it's, you know, one of the things they, and you've heard this phrase before, when you, see an, when you see an ice glacier, it's up out of the water. That's not the problem. Ship don't need to worry about that. Oh, look at the pretty little peak over there. It's nice and symmetrical. No, it's that big block underneath the surface that's hidden. That's the problem. And so a lot of times, even though I think secular counseling thinks they approach and hit that underlying factor, they never really get to the in-depth layer where all of this is an outflow from. This is a cause. These are symptoms of a deeper issue. But the Word of God, God knows man. He's designed man. He's created man in His image, so He knows man through and through. It was funny, speaking of the glaciers, I remember when I used to work on the cruise line. And I, my, our, our ship used to go uh, mainly in the Caribbean area. And so if any of you have been to the Caribbean, it doesn't matter what time of year you go, it's hot. Hence the reason they play that song, hot, hot, hot. Yeah, some of you probably danced to that on the deck if you've ever been on a cruise. Shame on you. Um, but I remember when I would call bingo, I used to have fun with these people. And there'd be 1,500 people in there you know, playing bingo. I'm like, man, you're on a cruise and you're playing bingo. Come on, people. Hit the deck. <laughs> but anyway, I would say, okay, uh, next up we have, oh, 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 folks, hold on a second. If you'll look out the, uh, if you'll look out the uh, starboard side real quick, you'll go over there and look. There is uh, one of the rare southern Caribbean glaciers. And people would get up and run over to the windows, you know. <gasps> where, where? And then half the crowd would start laughing because they realized, you know, and I was like, come on, people. Ice in this kind of weather, are you kidding me? Oh, so I got a lot of bad comment cards on that one. By the way, you don't, you don't get a chance to fill out comment cards here, so just keep that to yourself. 
Um, but, but I want to show you something. I, I want to show you something that I believe will help. Remember, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. This is a recipe. This is a prescription for you Christians. Temptation is going to knock. Satan will seek to battle you. You will find your place in, you will find yourself in desert places. But no, God's given you a way to escape, that you can bear it. And I believe part of our struggles, our biggest struggle is because you and me do not fully understand who I am in Christ. Because if I understand who I am in Christ, I realize that I have all of the resources that He's promised me. And if I have all of the resources that He's promised me, and I'm not using those resources, no wonder I'm being defeated. No wonder I'm being kicked around. I mean, that's like me being told, hey, you got a basketball team. Now, on that basketball team, you've got Michael Jordan, David Robinson, you've got Timmy Duncan, Chris Paul, and you can even have Kobe Bryant. I don't know why anybody would want him, but we'll take him. And... You got Mark Gentry and David O'Hara. And we didn't even throw in Jimmy Carr for good measure. Now, nothing wrong with you guys. I'm sure you got an A game in your day. But I would be kind of foolish to not utilize my best resources, right? <laughs> I mean, you know. And yet we as Christians, that's the way we live our life a lot of times. We will use fleshly living patterns. We will try and do things that's not as effective when we've got resources that God has entrusted and given to us that assures us a win, a victory. Let me explain. Now, I know this is going to be very difficult to see. Um, It was when I read it in my book. But I'm going to see if I can help us out. This is the natural man, the unregenerate man. By the way, if you're wondering, I am a trichotomist. A trichotomist is somebody who believes that man is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. You'll see it here, body, soul, and spirit. Now, I don't get real dogmatic on this. If you're a dichotomist, you believe man is material and immaterial, I'm cool with that. But I do believe that if you hold to material and immaterial, the immaterial has function in soul and spirit. Okay? Because Scripture does show an overlap of those two. That's why I won't get dogmatic about it. But anyway, here's the point. Notice the core of man. The unregenerate man, the man who's born into this world is born spiritually dead. He does not discern the things of the Spirit. In fact, we find that in the Scriptures. Uh, I'll read it to you, no need to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. You ever wonder why the world looks at you funny? thinks you are a bunch of morons, that you just, you don't get it? You Christians are so dumb. You believe that book? That's an old book. That's a book outdated. That book, you need to get mine. They found dinosaur bones. You know, whatever. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. If you're spiritually dead, 
What do dead people do? <laughs> Nothing. No wonder they don't get it. You heard the saying, get a life? That's exactly what they need because they're dead. <laughs> I don't recommend saying that to them, but you know. Notice, spirit, dead to God, alive to Satan. Paul tells us this, you too once were children of disobedience. We too used to... Look, just because they're dead spiritually doesn't mean they're not in tune with the little G God of this world. That's why man does pursue his fleshly desires, his lustful desires. That's why he's so tripped up. James talks about why, why are we drawn away, why are we tempted? Well, we're, we're tempted when we're drawn away with that lust that's in within our own hearts. And so sometimes what happens is you go down this road, and especially unregenerate men, they ain't got no say in it because they are a slave to sin. Their master is the principality in the airways, and, and he's the one that's calling the shots in their life. Now, they don't know this because they're dead. They're walking dead. You thought these zombie movies were something new. No, this has been going on since Adam fell. <sighs> Must satisfy the flesh. They're slaves. They're, they're spiritually dead. That's the sin nature, the old man. Now, notice, when somebody's spiritually dead, that affects their soul. By the way, their souls are psyche. They're thinking. It's their personality. Um, it says here, uh, they're under the dominion of old man, resulting in flesh, position, or body of sin. You find that in Romans 6.6. Uh, 6. But here's the point. It affects their mind. Their mind is darkened. Their emotions are uncontrolled. It affects the will. They're bound to do what natural man does. I don't get upset when a blind man steps on my foot. He's just doing what he knows to do, and that's, I can't see. Why would you get upset with a blind man when he steps on your foot? A natural man doesn't know, guys. When we're trying to tell them they need Jesus Christ, it doesn't make sense to them. This whole Bible thing and living as a follower of Christ, that doesn't make sense to them. They're blind spiritually. They just don't get it. That's why we're, we pray that the Spirit of God will breathe life into them and awaken them. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we sow seeds into their life. That's why we try to communicate the things of God and pray and hope that God, in His grace and His mercy, will allow the light to come on, that they will actually, oh, I, I get this. This makes sense to me. And that they will be resuscitated. They will actually be brought to life spiritually. You see, when a man is in the natural state, it affects his soul, his mind, his emotions, his will. You notice the worldly support system. It, it affects his emotions. The worldly support system, it, it affects everything. His mind. Satan, the author of sin and nature, has access from within. Not just without, but also from within. Their own heart. This is why the natural man doesn't get it. And the outcome is his life is simply dominated. Sin upon sin upon sin. That's the natural man. But you know what? There's also the scripture talks about a carnal man or a fleshly man. Now this man is a believer. 1 Corinthians 3.1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. These are people who are Christians... Notice, 
They're alive to God. At the core of their being, they've come to that place where they've repented of their sin, they've called out to Christ, they've been truly saved, the light's on. They're alive to God, dead to Satan. They're a new man. They're a partaker of the divine nature due to the indwelling Holy Spirit. But here's the problem. The way they think, their emotions, their will, everything is still bound to the world. The external pressures, instead of them relying on their resources that God has given them as a new creation in Christ, instead of drawing upon those things, instead of allowing the indwelling Holy Spirit to lead them and me yield to that Spirit of God from within through His truth and His Word, I do things the way I understand it. We talked about this in our seniors meeting. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. Don't, look, don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. That's the point. And see, most Christians don't do that. The reality is, yeah, you say you believe the book. But it was a long time before I jumped into my daddy's arms from the poolside, even though daddy was in the pool saying, come on, son, I'm going to catch you. Daddy, it's the deep end. Son, I'm here. I've got you. But I don't know, Daddy, I can't swim. Son, you're going to be fine. Just jump. Trust me. And you see, we go through life and we deal with problem after problem and sin after sin that trips us up. And instead of trusting Daddy, we allow fear. We think about it from our own perspective. We reason in our own understanding. And that's why we live in defeat. So... Here, here's the thing. Look, notice when this happens, all this still looks the same as the, as the carnal, as the uh, unregenerate man. And that's why a lot of times you can't tell the difference between a carnal Christian and an unbeliever. They're living like the world because they've never understood who they are in Christ. They've never realized, you know what, I belong to the king. He's given me a new nature. Why am I in prison when the door's unlocked? I can walk out. He set me free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But I stay in bondage. Well, last is the spiritual man. Now look, the spiritual man, there's still worldly and satanic pressures from outside. Notice the arrows. There's still that battle that goes on without, that oppression. But notice what the spirit man has done. The the, the spiritual man, he's alive to God, he's dead to Satan, he's the new man, he's the partaker of divine nature due to the indwelling Holy Spirit. But notice here, the soul, the personality, it's under dominion of indwelling Holy Spirit in spiritual condition, filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. This man yields to the Spirit of God in his life. Even though my feelings, my emotions, my mind wants to tell me something else because of those external pressures because of society, because of what the TV's telling me, because of what the news is reporting, because of just playing out demonic oppression, whatever the battle. And instead of believing those lies, I rely upon the truth. And I yield not to my own understanding, but I yield to the Spirit of God within helping to teach and guide through His Word. The will is yielded to God. Romans 6.13 My mind is renewed, Romans 12, 2. 
You know what happened, guys? When I became a new believer, I knew my mind had been saturated with filth. For 25 years, my mind had just been, ugh, it needed a good scrubbing. And when I found that passage, renew your mind through the washing of the, of the Word. And somebody said, Jeremy, man, you've got you to gotta reprogram your thinking. You've been thinking the way the world thinks for 25 years. God says, don't think that way. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And here's His mind. You need to know His mind. Read His Word so you'll begin as you know Him because the Holy Spirit is within you as a believer. And so you get on the same page. I begin to think the way God wants me to think. I face a battle, I face a situation, whereas before I do it in my own strength and I think, we know what, I need to handle this this way. No, 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 no. God says, handle it this way. But I don't know if I can handle it that way. God, that's not going to (laughs) work. Trust me. Trust me. Just jump. I'm going to catch you. I say, okay, Lord. You said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to take this step of faith. And you know what I found is I yield my life and the control of my will and my emotions and my mind and my thinking to the things of God and I let God work in me and through me. It actually works. Now, I'm not a pragmatic man. Don't do it just because it works. We do it because it's truth. But you know what's happening? As I begin to take these steps of faith and trust in God and I'm beginning to rely not on my own understanding or my resources, but I'm relying upon Him, I begin to see the path a little clearer. His Word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. And for those that do acknowledge Him and don't lean under their own understanding, He makes their way straight. But yet we go through life And we don't deal with it this way. I don't know why we choose to live in defeat, Christian. And Christ has given us the example. Did you miss the very beginning of this passage? I want to read it again. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Christian, you want to know why you don't have victory in your life? It's because you're not spirit-filled and you're not led by the Spirit. You want to know, Christian, how we get victory in our lives? By being controlled by the Spirit of God. Instead of doing things our boneheaded way, God, forgive me of my sin. Help me to trust you. Help me to be filled by the Spirit of God and to have my mind renewed in my thinking. And now I'm led by the Spirit of God. And if we will be filled and led by the Spirit of God, church, we will experience victory in our personal lives and we will experience victory in our ministries as a church as a whole. Does this make sense? I know for some of you here, you've got bondage. You're in bondage. You're struggling. Sins are tripping you up left and right and you just feel defeated. And I'm here to encourage you this morning, guys. God wants us to live this way as a spiritual man. 
Don't stay in the prison cell that you are imposing upon yourself if you are a believer. And there may be somebody here today, they'd be honest. You're not in the second Adam. You're in the first Adam. You're the unregenerate man. You're spiritually dead. Our prayer is this morning that you allow the Spirit of God to breathe life into you. And He promises that whoever would come to Him, He would no way cast out. The Spirit of God draws you. Obey. Don't resist. Don't reject. Answer why he's near. If you're in the second Adam, you've been born again. You've turned from your sin. You've placed your faith in the victorious Jesus Christ who has defeated Satan, death through his death upon the cross, buried and was bodily resurrected, and he's alive. You have the indwelling Spirit of God to give you the victory that you need. You know, we have highs and lows in our battles. They spiritually come, they spiritually go. But Jesus gives us the example in this text how to gain victory over the temptations we face, full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word that is truth. Thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, God incarnate. Though tempted in every way as man is tempted, he is without sin. And Lord, there's no one else that can ever say that. He is the unique Son of God. Religion is man trying to reach up to God. That's man's attempts. There's a lot of religions. There's a lot of belief systems in the world, but that's all they are. Systems. Religiosity. But Lord, none of those have the answer to bringing life. That only comes from you. And yet over 2,000 years ago, you demonstrated your love to mankind even though man was fallen dead in sins and trespasses against you. You kept your word. You promised there would come one who would redeem mankind. Sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. And he laid down his life because the wages of sin is death. That was the curse on the first Adam. That, and in that moment, he spiritually died and he began to die physically. That's the reason there's death and suffering in the world. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of man's rebellion against its creator. Even the second law of thermodynamics shows us that this creation is groaning, it's dying, it's growing weak. And yet, Lord, you offer life You've extended a helping hand. And that's what separates religion from relationship. God reaches down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, 
and offers His hand of salvation and says, Come, take my hand. Turn from your sin. Call upon my name. Reach out to me. Believe in me in faith and trust in me in my word and trust in me that I died for you and that I rose from the dead. You said if anyone would believe, if anyone would place their hope and their trust in the person of Jesus Christ, by faith, they would be made alive, sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Lord, if there's someone here that's never done that, I pray this morning that they would turn from their sin and they would humble themselves before a holy God and cry out to Jesus Christ to save them. That's you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Spirit of God. God's calling you to Himself. I want to ask you to step out of your seat and just come forward. Don't worry about what others may think. That's the pride of life. Don't let that sin keep you out of eternity. Don't let the sins of the, uh, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, whatever is causing you to stay in bondage. God wants to set you free and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God's calling you to Himself this morning. I want you to step out of your seat and just come on down to this altar. Nobody's looking. Just come on. I want to do business with God today. I want to get things settled. I want to get my account made clear. I want to pass from death into life. If that's you, the open invitation is here. That door's not going to stay open for long. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. We're not promised tomorrow. God's speaking to you. Lord, I pray as you search every heart here today, you know the heart. And if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, may they in the still of their moment right now Truly repent of their sin. May they call upon the only name given amongst men by which to be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for us believers, Lord, help us to be mature in our faith, to not be carnal, not spiritual babes. Lord, help us grow up. Let us grow up, Lord. Help us to yield to the Spirit of God, the truth of God. May we become spiritual men and women, doing your will. Father, thank you for this group. Thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for this gathering. Thank you for our visitors. And Lord, thank you for the carvers. And I praise the Lord for baby Scott, Holly and Mark. I see them in the back. And Lord, I thank you for them. Lord, bless us. Encourage us and lead us in that straight path as we acknowledge you in all our ways. We'll give you the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here today. I I trust that um, the Lord has spoken to you.